Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you again. Um, if we haven't met before, my name's Stuart, and I'm the vicar here. Um, and if you're here for the first time tonight, you have joined us in the middle of a series on the Holy Spirit. We've done Who is the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the coming three weeks, we're going to be looking at three spiritual gifts. Um, we're going to be looking at healing, and we're going to be looking at prophecy, and then going to be looking at spirit-led prayer as well. But Tonight, we are looking at the topic of why bother with spiritual gifts. We're doing a kind of overview of spiritual gifts. Why bother with spiritual gifts? Maybe you'll pray with me as we dive in. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this space in the center of Cambridge, set apart for the glory of your name. Thank you for your word, which leads us into the life you have for us. And we pray, as we look at this topic today, you would speak to each one of us. Amen. Wonderful. Can I have my one and only slide for this talk up? That's all right. Great. I wonder how many of you have played the racing game Mario Kart on any form of the Nintendo Wii or 64 or absolutely anything. Uh, who's played Mario Kart or seen Mario Kart played? Okay, all right, great. Well, don't worry if you haven't. It's very easy. It's a racing game, okay? Very simple. And it is literally the best game of all time. I shall hear no argument to the contrary. Um, but if you have played Mario Kart or, or seen it played, you might know that the boost is a mixed blessing. The, mix, the boost is a, is a double-edged sword, um, this, uh, you know, you have discovered. On the one hand, it is really rather tempting and exciting. You know, because I think there are few experiences possibly in life that are greater than if that moment where you are sitting maybe fourth or fifth in the pack, everyone else is getting ahead from you, but you sort of line it up, and then you just, you've got that little glowing mushroom in the corner, and you hit it at the right moment, and you just go flying through the pack past everyone. If you've timed it just right, you cross the finish line, everyone else is crying, you feel amazing, it's just wonderful. On the other hand, if you get it wrong, it's one of the most soul-rendering of all experiences in life. You line it up, you get ready, you hit it at the wrong time, something goes wrong, and you go flying off an unforeseen waterfall or toadstool or something, and you get falling down. And then you get this little crane thing that kind of comes down and picks you up, and it sort of slowly floats you back onto the... Meanwhile, everyone's just flying past you, and it's just... It feels terrible. So... You know, the boost is a double-edged sword. And many of the wiser Mario Carters among us will say that sometimes it's best not to use the boost at all. Why have I begun with Mario Kart? You can take that down now, obviously. Um, very distracting. Um, well, today, as we come to think about the Holy Spirit, and particularly the, the gifts of the Spirit, I think uh, many of us, maybe accidentally, fall into the trap of thinking that the gifts of the Spirit are a bit like the boost in Mario Kart. On the one hand, exciting, whizzy, extraordinary, a way to kind of power ahead. How exciting. On the other hand, dangerous. Uh, is it worth it? And maybe some of us think, you know, you know what? I think I can make it around the track without these. I think I can make it around the track without these. But I want to convince us that spiritual gifts are something we should eagerly desire. And that's not a helpful way to think about them. So we're going to be looking at these chapters, 
12 to 14 and seeing how Paul sees them. And hopefully that will encourage us. So if you want to find out about spiritual gifts, the place to go are these three chapters in uh, Corinthians. And in these chapters, uh, Paul, uh, Paul is writing to them, and he tells us, first of all, about the Holy Spirit. And we've been thinking about the Holy Spirit in general. If you didn't know this, if you didn't know this, there's a God who made you, who loves you, and whose greatest gift to you is himself. He gave himself in Jesus. He died on the cross for you. But the gift that comes through that is, again, himself. He wants a relationship with you, and he wants to give his spirit to you, the presence of the living God, that you can know him. That is extraordinary. But on top of that, on top of that, we are told that the Holy Spirit wants to pour out gifts into the lives of those who follow him. In chapters 14, in these chapters, um, Paul particularly focuses on two spiritual gifts, on prophecy, which is really the gift of a kind of um, a word from God or knowledge supernaturally given into a situation or a person's life or a church's life. And he also focuses on the gift of tongues, which is really a supernatural language given uh, to believers. Uh, it's like a prayer language given for us to be able to talk to God. But in chapter 12, in that list that we had read, he, he lists many, many others as well. And it's not an exhaustive list. He, he mentions the gift of faith, the gift of miracles and of healing, of distinguishing between spirits, of mercy, of teaching, of leading. And there are many others as well. As we look in the scriptures, what we see is that these are sort of supernatural or spirit-empowered gifts or abilities given to God's people. And we also see that they, they're not something we earn. It's not like scouts where you get another badge for every level of Christian you are, and when you get to a certain level, you get this gift. It's not like that. It is at the Lord's gift. He, it's not, they're not earned. He just distributes them to each as he sees fit. And when we look in the New Testament, we see that the practice of the spiritual gifts seems to be completely normal in the early church. So here we see them in the church in Corinth that Paul is writing to. But um, Paul also mentions them in his letter to the church in Rome, the church in Galatia, the church in uh, Thessalonica, the church in Ephesus, and also when he writes to Timothy. And when we look at the story of the early church in the book of Acts, we see that there are spiritual gifts just everywhere. Healings in Jerusalem, great signs and miracles in Samaria, speaking in tongues in Caesarea, prophecy in Antioch, and on and on. Now, I wonder how you react when you, really, you know, hear about these gifts. I think we have a variety of reactions, and it really depends where we're coming from. For some of us, we might be completely new to this. This may be the first time you've ever heard the idea that God might give by His Spirit some supernatural gifts to His people. It might be a really wacky idea. For others of us, we will have a different personal history with this. We might have come from a background or a church where um, we've seen different things. Maybe we've seen spiritual gifts really abused, not used well. We've been at the bad end of that. Or maybe we've seen them neglected or even denigrated. Or maybe we just don't have any experience of them at all. And I think we also bring our personalities to this as well. But if you're anything like me, I think many of us do react in one of two ways. 
Um, some of us, I'm sure, here would be like, wow, that is so exciting. I can't believe that. That's amazing. Give me some supernatural power. I want to see God do some exciting things. Give me the boost, if you like. Others of us will be like, no way, Jose. No wackiness for me, thank you very much. I came to an Anglican church for a reason. Um, you know, much better to stay in control, not to fly off any corners. I can get round without these. You can see where I'm going with it. Many of us maybe have fallen into the trap of thinking of spiritual gifts as the boost in Mario Kart. But uh, Paul doesn't think of them that way. And I want to suggest three things that Paul does think about them um, and that will help us think about spiritual gifts and to desire them. So, first of all, spiritual gifts aren't like the boost because they aren't optional, they are essential. They aren't optional, they're essential. The Corinthian church was in a complete mess when it came to spiritual gifts. Their services were so chaotic, they're so chaotic that at the beginning of this whole section, which begins in chapter 11, um, verse 17, uh, Paul actually begins by saying to them this, your meetings do more harm than good. What an indictment. He's basically saying to them, People would be better off staying away from your Sunday services than coming to them. That's, that's, some, that's heavy hitting, right? And um, it was a complete mess. People were uh, going off on ego-fueled power trips uh, all over the place. They were uh, prophesying, speaking in tongues without any regard for each other or the damage they were doing or the confusion they were causing. It, these guys were flying off every corner available, if you like. But what's so striking to me is how Paul responds to that situation. Because if, it seems to me if there was ever a time for Paul to say something like, guys, lay off the spiritual gifts. Calm down. Give it a pause. They're not essential. You don't need them to get around the course. If there was ever a time for him to say that, surely this would be it. But if you read carefully, he has lots of problems with how they're practicing spiritual gifts, but that is not what he says. He still says to them, in fact, quite the opposite. 14 verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire. That means to covet to be jealous for spiritual gifts, eagerly desire them. Even in all of the chaos and all that's going on, giving up on spiritual gifts is not an option for Paul. He responds to the way they're completely misusing and abusing them by saying, right, guys, let's get this right. Let's use these right. Let's, let's not give them up. Some of us just need to hear that tonight. Maybe we've given up on spiritual gifts because we've seen them used badly. But Paul would say, no, these aren't optional. They're essential. And why is that? Why is that? Well, that brings me to my second point. The second reason that spiritual gifts aren't like the boost in Mario Kart is that they aren't given to us to win. They're given us as a way to love. They're not a way to win. They're a way to love. Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. 
It's not follow the way of love and so stop, calm down. It's follow the way of love and eagerly desire spirit's gift. They come together. You know, if you're anything like me, when you uh, come across the spiritual gifts, I think the most natural response is to uh, think, to be overcome by thoughts and anxieties about ourselves, about me. It's to be thinking things like this. Will God speak to me? Will he use me? What gift will he give me? How will I look as I practice the spiritual gifts? Will I look stupid? Will I get it wrong? Will I look amazing? It's so often the natural response when we come to the spiritual gifts, especially the more whizzy ones, supernatural ones, is to start by thinking about ourselves. But spiritual gifts, Paul tells us so clearly, aren't primarily about us, about me. They're about others. That's why he says in chapter 12, verse 7, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And later on in chapter 14, he says to them, Since you desire spiritual gifts, try to excel in those that build up the church. Uh, And he particularly highlights prophecy. Why? Because he thinks it strengthens, encourages, and comforts. It blesses people. It blesses people. Jonathan Edwards was a uh, Puritan theologian uh, and pastor in the 1700s and in America. And he was, in very many ways, very, very conservative by pretty much any measure. (laughs) But he was present at the heart of an amazing move of God at that time called the Great Awakening. And God was just doing all kinds of crazy things by the Spirit. And he writes in the wake of that to try and make sense of it. And he writes in this book called um, On Gracious Affections. You can see by the very boring cover that it's pretty dense, but it is otherwise fantastic. And in that book, he describes the spiritual gifts as vehicles of grace. Vehicles of grace. And I love that image because it reminds me of the support vehicles in the Tour de France. Anyone seen the Tour de France? It's like, you know, these guys are trying to climb, you know, near vertical climbs up the Pyrenees or wherever it is, absolutely. And alongside them, they have these motorbikes and these cars that are driving, providing water, you know, um, you know, doing repairs and just generally cheering on their teammates. And I just love that image because these vehicles have extra power. <laughs> They've got engines in them, but not to win, to bless, to cheer on others to win. They are vehicles of grace. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about spiritual gifts, and I think Paul was so passionate about spiritual gifts, is they bless, bless, bless others. That is what they're for. I think of a story my my mother tells. Um, My mother um, doesn't actually speak in tongues. She's been a Christian for many years, but she wouldn't say, if you asked her, that she had the gift of tongues. She doesn't speak often gift of tongues, but she tells of a time uh, a few years ago when she was um, in a worship service, a bit like one of these, and during the worship time uh, and prayer time, she started uh, 
she found herself spontaneously speaking in another language that she didn't know. But she knew about the gift of tongues, so she just said, okay, Lord, fine, I'm just going to let this happen. And then uh, a little while later, the lady in front of her turned to her and said, you know, I just want to say, um, I don't know if you know it, but for the last few minutes, last while, you have been praying in my tribal language, in my, my, my mother tongue. And they were in South Africa. I'm from South Africa. And she was part of a really small tribe. And she was just like, thank you so much, because I feel God has been saying to me, I know you, and I know where you've come from. And I just really needed to hear that. Really need to hear that this morning. She was blessed. Now, imagine if my mom had been like, oh, no, no, hold on. No wackiness for me, thank you very much. No, the Lord was using that gift to bless. Or I think of um, friends of mine who, after they got married, uh, felt really called to go and do missionary work overseas. And they felt called to go uh, to a particular country. Um, but as they began to share that with some of their close friends and family, uh, they felt um, they got a lot of resistance. In particular, there was one member of the family who actually wrote to them and said, we think you're being really irresponsible. In fact, um, it was the husband. They wrote to the husband and said, we think you are being really irresponsible with our daughter. <laughs> and this really, really struck them. It was like, oh, well, we thought we'd been hearing from God. We thought this was of God. But maybe we are being irresponsible. Maybe we shouldn't go, what's going on? We want to honor our family, things like that. And then one day they came to HT. They don't regularly come to HT, but they came. And I remember they were sitting about there. And after the service, someone came up to them and said, I know you don't know me, but as I've been praying, I feel God has something to say to you. And um, I just want to share that. I think God might be saying to you, some people have been saying to you, what you're about to do is really irresponsible. But he wants you to know that there's nothing more responsible than being where he's told you to be. And it was just like, whoa, whoa. And it just totally unlocked their situation. It, they just suddenly just knew, oh, no, hold on, we have heard from God. Oh, hold on, it's not irresponsible. It's, we, we're doing what God's told us to do. And it set them free to go into what was quite a challenging situation with the confidence that God knew them and was with them. It was life-changing. I don't know where they'd be without it. What a blessing. What a blessing. Spiritual gifts aren't a power for us to win, get ahead of the rest. They are a power God gives us to help others win. Vehicles of God's grace. And here's an interesting thought. You know, I, I had this thought in the worship time, in the morning service. But it's one thing to, t you know, if someone came to you with a gift, maybe a Christmas gift, and they, they sort of here, wrapped it up, here you go, here's a gift for you. It's one thing for you to say, okay, that's fine, you know, I don't actually want it. That's one thing. But now imagine they came to you and said, I want to give you this gift, but it's for somebody else. <laughs> Here's a gift. I want you to give it to that other person. It's one thing to turn away a gift he thinks just for you. It's another thing to turn away a gift when it's actually for somebody else. And that's what spiritual gifts are. They are vehicles of grace to bless others.
And of course, if, uh, if this is true, if they are a, a way of loving one another, then we do actually have to use them in a loving way. That's really Paul's whole point in these chapters 12, 13, and 14, using spiritual gifts in a loving way. My favorite um, proverb is Proverbs 27, verse 14, and it says this. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor very early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. (laughs) And I really like that because it's a great reminder that it is possible to do a loving thing in a very unloving way, and it will not be received as love. And so spiritual gifts are the same. We, we, we have to follow the way of love as we use them so that they are a blessing. And that is what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. This famous chapter Paul has about love. It's not something we just are supposed to rip it out of context and read it at weddings, although it's great reading for a wedding. The whole point of it sitting at the center of all of this is that this is, if you like, the the NASA pre-launch safety check for spiritual gifts. This is, it's like, you know, his pre-launch safety check. He's like, patience, check. Kindness, check. Dealt with envy, check. Dealt with pride, check. Okay, now I'm ready to launch into the new power that God has given me so that that, to love others, so that it will be a blessing, so that it will encourage, so that it will cheer others on. Spiritual gifts are not like the boost. Exciting, but ultimately optional. They're an essential way God has given us to love one another. And then the third reason, uh, the second reason why Paul values them so much, and another reason why Spiritual gifts are not like the boost. Spiritual gifts aren't to demonstrate our power. They're to demonstrate God's power. They're not given to us to demonstrate our own power. They're given to demonstrate God's power. A former archbishop, Rowan Williams, once said, the church exists so that people in this and every century may encounter Jesus of Nazareth as a living contemporary. The church exists so that people in this and every century may encounter Jesus of Nazareth as a living contemporary. And I think that's true. I think that's true. But I don't think it happens because it's our job to, inverted commas, bring Jesus alive to people or to make Jesus relevant to people, as if that's something we do to make Jesus a contemporary. I think it's true because Jesus is alive and it's our job to act like he's alive. It's our job to expect him to be like Jesus. He died, he rose again, and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he is still doing all of the things he was doing then. And he loves to still break into people's lives and heal and speak and do all these kinds of things. I don't know whether you've uh, come across the, the little bracelets, WWJD bracelets. They're great. They stand for, what would Jesus do? But I think they should stand for, what will Jesus do? <laughs> I think that's a much better thing to ask ourselves. What will Jesus do? A Christianity that treats Jesus as if he's dead but still relevant is no Christianity at all. 
And this is another reason that Paul gives for why we need to be open to the spiritual gifts, and especially prophecy. And he points to that at the end of chapter 14, where he talks about when the spiritual gifts are being used in the right way, and especially when prophecy is being practiced the right way, one of the reactions is, God, it says, that people will come into the church, they will fall down, worship God, and exclaim, God is really among you. When they see the work of Jesus, they'll say, wow, he's alive. And again, another reason I'm excited about spiritual gifts is how often this is people's primary reaction to seeing God at work in this way. A close friend of mine um, tells a story of being healed. And um, it happened many years ago, uh, not long after he'd become a Christian for the first time. When he, he, uh, it was only about six months after he'd become a Christian. And um, he was kind of on this kind of camp or kind of mission thing at the time when he discovered uh, a really, really painful and large lump or growth under his arm. And it was quite painful. But you can imagine as soon as you realize that, all kinds of things start running through your head. And he was also really, really worried about it. And uh, so he booked a doctor's appointment. But... Um, he was still kind of at this kind of mission thing. And, uh, but before he managed to make it to his doctor's appointment, he was in one of the meetings, and someone there suggested, well, you know, God sometimes heals, so why don't we pray for it? And so it was very simple. He was, stood up and put his hand under his arm, and um, someone next to him just put a hand on his shoulder, and they just prayed a very simple prayer for healing in Jesus' name. And... As he tells the story, the lump completely and instantly disappeared. He was in, like, could tangibly feel it. When? But what's so interesting to me is when he tells the story, he says his reaction is not what you expected. His first reaction was not, ah, oh, thank you, Lord, for healing me. It was, holy crap, God's alive. <laughs> what else might he do? <laughs> it's just like, wow, oh, my word. God really moves. He does things. He heals. He's God. That's terrifying. I need to get my life before. I need to take this seriously. And that is so often people's response to seeing God at work, especially for the first time. Or another story, and um, I heard this one very recently. I was at a um, gathering of church leaders, and, and, and someone told me this story. Um, they and two women from their church decided to go out into the town center to try and talk to people about Jesus and um, without being weird, which is surprisingly hard. Um, but they're sort of going around just trying to talk to people, uh, and, and they weren't getting very far at all. So one of them prayed. Um, they were like, okay, Lord, well, what do you want us to do? And one of them had a kind of picture of a park. So they thought, oh, well, we'll go, and go to the local park. So they went to the local park, see if there's anyone there to talk to. And there wasn't. There was nobody there apart from these three uh, teenage girls who were obviously skipping school, sitting um, in the center of the park. And so they're like, oh, gee, this is going to be interesting. Um, but they said, right, okay, there's no one else to talk to. So they went over, and they went, and they sat down next to these three girls, and they started trying to talk to them. And as expected, it didn't go very well. These girls didn't want to know. Um, so they kind of stood up to leave. And as they stood up, though, one of the girls said to them, right, well, you know, you've just been talking about prayer and saying that it's a two-way conversation. If prayer's a two-way conversation, 
what does God think of us? <laughs> oh, in at the deep end. <laughs> so they're like, okay, fine. They sat back down and, well, we, don't, we can't make God speak, but we'll ask. And they started listening and the guy who's telling, telling me the story, he tends to his one friend. You hear anything from God? Nope. <laughs> Turn to the second friend. You hear anything from God? Nope. <laughs> so he said, he told me, he said, Lord, if you're ever, ever going to speak to me again, now's the moment. <laughs> and he said, just on the very edge of his consciousness, just really not loud, just this phrase, a few words came across his mind. And he just said to the girls, look, I don't know whether this is God or not, but here's what's come into my mind. At which point they just totally erupted in disbelief. Because although he could never have known it, because they were had only just arrived. That was exactly the topic of the conversation they'd been talking about before the guys had arrived in the park. It was exactly what they'd been talking about, and it was exactly what was on their heart at that time. But again, their reaction is so interesting. They didn't go, oh, wow, you guys are amazing. How do you hear about God? They didn't think that. They said, oh, my word, God is real. What else does he know about us? And that is what Paul says. Oh my word, God is real, what else does he know? And it actually began a journey for that one of those three girls to becoming a Christian that week. Now these don't, stories don't happen all the time. I'm not pretending this is normal all the time, but don't we want more stories like this? Don't we want more stories like this? So often when we come to the topic of spiritual gifts, we start by thinking all about ourselves. The excitement, the power, the boost that we want, or the things that we're afraid of, how we will look, those kinds of things. But spiritual gifts aren't primarily for us. They're for others. It's the Abrahamic blessing. I will bless you that you may be a blessing. I will pour and give gifts to you. I will make you rich that you may pour out to others. They are a way to love one another. They're a tool that God wants to give you to love those around you. And they are vehicles of grace to demonstrate God's power in a world that so needs to see the living Jesus at work among them. So here's the question tonight. You know, are we willing to let go of ourselves and say, okay, Jesus, I want to be a blessing. And I'm open to the tools. I'm open to the gifts you'll give me to do that. If you've never, ever come across spiritual gifts before, I really encourage you to start with the book Everyday Supernatural by Mike Pelavacci and Andy Croft. It's really easy to read. It's a really good introduction. But otherwise, I encourage you to pray, to be asking the Lord, what gift might you want to give me? And go and study in the Bible. What, what are they? What? Or you might do it the other way around. Who do you want me to bless? <laughs> Who do you want me to bless? And then would you give me the gifts? To bless them. I'm going to pray very briefly and then Ollie's going to lead us in a response time. Lord, I thank you that you are so good and that your heart is to bless us and bless us and bless us, that you are a giver of good gifts, that you give yourself and you give so much more. And we just want to see more of you at work and more of your life-giving spirit at work. And it's my prayer, it's our prayer, that you would give us courage 
to be open to the ways you want to do that and the gifts you want to give. Use us, we pray. Amen.